everybody. Welcome to the Louisiana Farm Life Podcast. My name is Carl Wiggers. I feel like I should reintroduce myself so that you know who's talking to you because it's been a long time. I apologize for the long break, but with the pandemic, I, I wasn't really feeling like it was appropriate to be out interviewing farmers in person at extended periods of time in a very intimate setting like a podcast is. I also made the choice not to do these podcasts via Zoom because I like the quality and the interaction that comes from in-person interviews, and I felt like this podcast deserved that. This week, they're back. As the title suggests, I share a name with today's guest, the last name. Today's guest is my dad, and I feel like in this episode, you'll get to know a little bit about me as well and learn about my farm background, but it's not about me. It's about him. We talk a lot about dad and the way he grew up on a farm, why he came and chose to raise his family on the farm, and you know what he enjoys doing when he's not driving a tractor or making farming decisions. And we talked about his hunting and his fishing growing up, and uh, talked about some old friends and how he got involved in Farm Bureau. It's a it's a pretty interesting conversation. I feel like I'm also slightly biased. Listeners, I hope this is something that you will enjoy as much as I did. Like I said, I'm biased, so of course I enjoyed it. But I think there's something in here for everyone. So, without further ado, please enjoy Louisiana Farm Life with Scott Wiggers. So, we're sitting here in the breakfast room of our house, your house, not my house anymore. Um, this it still is, is. This is kind of my house still. I, I did a lot of research on, on my guests today, uh, about 30 years of it. I guess you could say. So, Dad, thanks for being on the podcast. I've got many questions. Some of them are for me to have, just the answers to. Some of them may be interesting to somebody else. Uh, in about five minutes, I'm a guessing. I'm, I'm a guessing someone's going to turn this off and say, "Okay, that's enough of of that." But I'm hoping it's interesting to some people. But there are stories I've heard over the years working on the farm, uh, from how we used to deer hunt. You know. The fact that the farm used to be a, a cattle ranch, the fact that you used to build houses, you know, there's all those types of stories that are just interesting to me, and I thought somebody else might find them interesting. Maybe it's just the sun thing, but let's start with, so who who are you, Scott Wiggers? You're a farmer, dad, husband, but what kind of farm, let's, let's get the farm kind of foundation there. So what kind of farm do you have as it is today in 2021? Well, currently here in 2021, we're mainly a corn and uh, soybean farm. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said earlier, we, we had not, haven't always been that. We, we started out, as I remember, back in uh, 60s and 70s, which I, it's, it's kind of scary to think that I can think back that far and remember that far. But you know, I do remember when we were uh, largely a cattle operation and uh, cattle and cattle and uh, cotton at that time. Y'all had some grains, but it was only to feed the cattle, right? Yeah. They, they harvested the corn and put, put it all the whole kernel corn in corn cribs, and they fed it to the cows. And and uh, I used to ride in the old dump trailer that had the uh, uh, whole kernel corn. They, they, they pulled corn. didn't combine it. It was a corn puller. Hmm. And they threw it into a trailer and took it to the, took to the farm and threw it in a big corn crib and and they fed the cows out of the corn crib. Times have changed a little bit. You don't do that anymore. You've you've actually now that now that you're saying that, 
you've actually had a few jobs maintaining pasture now that I'm yeah. that involved you riding around like that. But let's so you said we farm. It's not just you. No, it's, it's how's that? How's that? I mean, it originally was you farming with your dad. When I started farming in 1981, it was uh, my dad and two uncles were involved. And um, in 1981, I wanted to come back from college and go to go to work on the farm to, to raise my family and uh, raise you kids on the farm where you could be around your grandparents. And and uh, it, it was it's just a good place to raise kids. There's not a whole lot of opportunity in Franklin Parish, but but it's a great place to raise your family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to raise y'all uh, around your grandparents and around the farm environment. And uh, but when I started in '81, uh, we were largely a, a, a soybean operation, and uh, we we, we transi- transitioned into cotton uh, about in '81, '82. So you said your dad and a couple of uncles. Ah, yeah. Was, Who it, else was it? It was more than that. It was well. It was my dad and two uncles, and uh, then. I, I came onto the farm, and, and my brother Mike came onto the farm. So there was five of us at that time. Then my, uh, my cousin, Rusty, and uh, uh, a, a, my cousin-in-law came in to the farm. And there were, at one time, there were six of us actually working on the farm. And then we now we're back down to just three working on the farm now. Yeah. Uncle Mike's passed now, and now Drew, mm-hmm. my cousin, right. nephew, is working. So you got so, so right now it's, the generations it's, have handed down. Yeah, so yeah, the, we've... Uh, we're in the. I can see the third generation in in, in my t- my lifetime working on the farm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my cousin Rusty and I, and the next generation down is Drew. So there's three of us. Right. Um, what? Uh, so now now that we've established who we who we are, are. going to say we a lot. I can just imagine because uh, it's not just you that does this, and that's true of every farm. But uh, now, so y'all went from soybeans when you came on in '81. Mm-hmm. to cotton what was involved in that was that a market decision was it well what was it the land what, what i'll back up that? i'll back up into uh the early early mid 70s we had uh we had the cattle operation we had about six six seven hundred head of cows mama cows and uh in 1973 74 and 75 we had big backwater years and they had to uh they had to get the cows up out of the from the uh backwater areas and bring them out, and we had very little land that was not underwater, so we had to catch the cows, bring them out, bring them off one ridge through a, sw- through a, a low area mm-hmm. on horses, and we'd be in two, three foot of water bringing the cows out. I'm picturing the exact spot, but is it the spot I'm thinking? I mean, is it coming from where we now hunt? Mm, yes, yeah, from, from the back. From the back. <laughs> when I say the back, yeah. coming from out in the back, and we brought them up to the uh, area where the shop is now, to the catch pens, and and they did that three years in a row. In the third year, they said, that's enough of this because we were having high water consistently. And I sold out of the cows. Okay. Then they uh, transitioned into a, 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 a soybean crop mainly. 1980 was a big drought year. Soybeans were not uh, very good. So we started raising a little bit of cotton in 81 and went to full cotton in 82. Mm. So cotton, cotton – for the listeners, the viewers out there, cotton is what I grew up with. Yeah. Whenever I came along in the '90s, and that's all I remember growing up was tromping the cotton trailers, mm-hmm. um, and working air quotes for the the listeners working on the cotton farm. So, y'all had about ten years of that before I came around, I guess. So, yeah, we ish. 
we went we went from uh, in 1981 we had maybe 200 no 150 200 acres of cotton I can't remember maybe 160, and then in 80, 82 we went up to about 1800 acres of cotton. Wow, that's and, quite uh, the jump. That was that's a big jump. Is that attached to? That was the year that buying uh, a couple cotton pickers. Yeah, you know, Mike and I bought cotton pickers to harvest the crop, and we were that was our that was our contribution gotcha. time. We were. We were, uh, that was our business on the side that we provided for the farm and along with farming. Did y'all cut for, uh, cut? Um, I, I see, I've, I've moved all the way into the corn and soybeans mm -hmm. world now after the first year, the first year we picked, uh, for some other, uh, neighbors. And then after that, we didn't have enough equipment to, and there eight, that was a lot of acres for two cotton pickers. Were they, were those, those four rows? Those cotton, two rows. Two row cotton 99 pickers. 99 tens. I don't know what that is, but that's, I never understood the numbers. I never could learn the numbers of tractors and pickers but they two change. two row i know they change <laughs> two two row cotton pickers picking 1800 acres seems like that was it and we had to get some help for a couple of years there because that was too much for two cotton pickers then we went to four rows and and we were able to do a little better and other people other my cousin my cousins came in and they they had cotton pickers too so gotcha uh, so so we had more than just two pickers so do you remember and in, 1981 1982 what kind of not what kind of cotton specifically but what like what were y'all yielding in cotton back in those days no we we were the, the in 81 when we came in and and planted cotton i think it was a mcnair 213 if i'm not mistaken which is a, a variety you, variety you won't hear of today <laughs> Never heard of. but uh i think it was mcnair 213 and we we yielded uh 950 200 to two, two bales almost two bale cotton almost two bale cotton that's I, I was just curious if that because I know that number now people can yield double that's, that. That's why that's why we went from yeah, but that's why we went to sixteen eighteen hundred acres of cotton. So y'all picked too. a really good crop that first year and mm -hmm. said uh, all in, all Let's in. That, because soybeans, the uh, we had two center three center pivot systems, and uh, soybean nematodes were getting to be bad. Uh, it's getting to be a problem that they're not quite as bad a problem now. And we couldn't provide enough water, so more cotton was a big hit. And between the drought and the nematodes, soybeans was not uh, soybeans weren't a really good option. At the, so, mm -hmm. well, that's just that's interesting. I, I was just curious. I, I'm assuming y'all didn't keep averaging two bale cotton just with the years. Was that was that the upper end of kind of where cotton mm -hmm. yields were? We were always in the upper eight hundreds to. Uh, to, to a thousand pounds. I remember one year we, we picked on the whole farm. We averaged like a thousand fifteen pounds, something like that. A really good year, and um, that was a stone for eight seventy five. <laughs> well, the reason I'm asking that, and for all the listeners that are about to turn it off, don't. I'm asking because nowadays, you can't make a. I mean, you can barely make a living making really good three mm -hmm. bale cotton. I mean, some would probably argue there's a million var variables, but <clears throat> two bale cotton nowadays. Is yeah, I just you're kind of disappointed in that. Yeah, you, I, I'm, I'm guessing yeah, as a you, farmer, you you wouldn't you wouldn't really want to get into it for for, for 900 pound cotton, right? Unless so you unless you found a way to really reduce your inputs. And things have changed a little bit, is what yeah, I was there, getting. There's at. some other cropping systems out there that that make might would make that work, but uh, it would take everything being right in yeah. in the from April all the way through October. Yep. Yeah, you. It doesn't. It's not very enticing to get into it for nine hundred pounds of cotton. So, 
we're going to talk about things off the farm, but now that we're talking about this, I've got to, I've got to come clean. I've begged you to get back into cotton for at least a good four or five years. I feel like, and it ha- I have nothing to do with it other than just loving cotton because that's what I grew up with. Yada, yada. But I've learned, I mean, especially over the last five years working at farm bureau. Now I've seen the stress that go, <laughs> that has to have been weighing on all of y'all that were growing cotton, but I, I saw it on you, especially a couple of years where we're picking against a hurricane mm-hmm. and you know, that crop just stays in the ground later in the year through longer hurricane seasons in this past year. I think these past couple of years, I've probably said it on other podcasts, Twilight after show podcast, maybe or something, but I now see why you're not, you, 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 yeah. do, you don't really miss cotton in, in August, September, October as much now, do you? So cotton, cotton is a fun crop to grow. It's challenging. It's, uh, you have to manage a lot of things in cotton. Uh, not to say any other crop is easy to grow, but cotton is probably has a few more challenges with it. But, you know, there's, there's a soft spot in my heart for cotton. I love it. Uh, I enjoy uh, the smell. Mm. When you uh, when you're harvesting cotton, you, you there's a smell that goes with it. That uh, defoliated cotton. I mean, cotton just has a spot that's that, that's sweet to you. But uh, you know those, those those bad falls where you get those storms come in and they don't have to have a name on them. They can have a name like a Gustav or a Lily or something like that. But you know we've had storms that came in that did not have a name that rained 14 inches and it's just. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we went through that two or three years in a row, and and we just had to move on to something that was a little bit more uh, uh, weather safe. Yeah, and it also happened. I think <clears throat> y'all's move, and you could probably tell me more specifically, but y'all's move into grains happened at the same time that cotton prices were were falling and grain prices were skyrocketing. Right? Is that did, did that happen? I don't at the know same so much. Time? The grain grains were skyrocketing, but we had we had just come out of the. Uh, uh, South America, World Trade Organization challenges, and and so the c- cotton market was not quite as strong, and uh, there were a lot of challenges there, and the crops, the the prices for cotton was not were not as good at the time. So were y'all before? I, I know corn and soybean prices both shot up, or or not say shot up. I don't want to be exaggerate here, but they were both really good crops mixed. Mixed it, with good prices, we, we transitioned at a time when the prices were good, and that, that's where we are now because we don't have we don't have cotton equipment anymore. So getting back into cotton is going to take take a lot of uh, right uh, investment and imagination. Yeah, <laughs> imagination. Well, I, I was just trying to y'all got out of cotton at a time that it made more sense than mm-hmm. just the weather being a factor. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Uh, now in my in my thirtieth year of life, I see that you you weren't crazy that <laughs> there are real struggles of fighting the weather and the inputs and the dollars and cents just don't make sense. So the stress. So anyways, you told me that whenever I was 17 mm-hmm. and I was upset about getting out of cotton. I was honestly selfishly upset because I didn't understand corn and beans. And I thought I'd just started to understand what was involved in raising a cotton crop. And here I am learning a new crop at, as soon as I'm getting ready to go to college. Anyways, I digress. So we've talked a lot about crops. What is it? Uh, let's go back now to you and Uncle Mike. Y'all bought cotton pickers. Y'all were getting involved in the farm. Mm-hmm. Y'all, what's the, what was y'all's age gap? Y'all were just a couple Mike of years. Was, Mike was four years. Four years. Me. So y'all were 
but y'all were close and, and as as kids obviously right. you entertained each other y'all had friends of your own but mm-hmm. what did what what did y'all do what was life like growing up in the 60s 70s on a farm that had a bunch of cows a bunch of land we had our own horses and we sometimes we'd saddle up the horses we'd ride different places uh uh mike did more things with his friends and i did with my and i did stuff with my friends more but uh we did things together but uh uh, you know, we'd, we'd ride horses or we would uh, get on a bicycle and ride. I'd get on a bicycle back those days and I'd, I'd ride 15 miles or, well, yeah, 15 miles or so to a, to a friend's house on a bicycle. Wow. And on blacktop roads and didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> we had the, uh, uh, I guess everybody was like, uh, I saw Scott come by here a while ago. You know, he's he was headed that down to where you're supposed to be going, you know. Kind of raised by the community. Raised by the community. But there were lots of days we went a long way on a bicycle, rode bicycle all back through the woods and had trails. And we, those were the kind of things we did growing up and fishing. Well, the reason I asked that is because you mentioned coming back from college and wanting to, you know, wanting to join and farm with your dad and your family and raise your family on the farm around the grandparents Mm -hmm in that life. So I was, I guess what I'm getting at is what is it about that lifestyle, the farming lifestyle, the, you know, just, just life on a farm that makes you want to raise your family around, what made it made you want to raise us on the farm. I don't, by the way, I am so glad you did. I loved it. It's yeah. a great, it's, it's, a great it's way a, to grow it, up. To me, it was a, just a great place to grow up. You just, uh, you do a lot of things, you, uh, the things that we did, uh, y'all didn't get to do as much as we did. Uh, it wasn't in my backyard. It wasn't in your backyard, so you, you couldn't ride a a, 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 a a horse or a bicycle to the back back there like I could. And, and my dad growing up, he was riding horses all back there and getting on the river and spending the whole day on the river, two days on the river. And he'd come back in. When he came back in, nobody worried about him. But there's still, still something special about being raised in the country, uh, on the farm, around a – the, the entire family group, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all that stuff, it has its own challenges. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it, the good outweighs the bad, and it's mm-hmm. just a great place, and, and you learn the value of work. And, uh, and y'all were able to be with me a lot when I worked. You know, a lot of people go to work, and they don't see their kids till they come home from work, and I, I took y'all a lot. Mm-hmm. Y'all were with me all summer long. Yeah, I was about Two to say, or three of y'all as, were with me. As soon as school let out, I uh, – quote unquote again, went to work with dad on the farm. And I remember I was so excited when you started paying me $5 an hour. You paid you too much. Way too much. I definitely was overpaid to sweep the shop. But uh, it, it was cool because I had some kind of all, all of a sudden I learned a sense of responsibility and learned a sense of, okay, I put this time in, I get a paycheck on Friday or whenever I ask for it really. But I learned that. So is that is that stuff you learned growing up on the farm? I mean, those kind of same things. Well, you know, I, mean, I grew up, and when a, when I was old enough to do it, I was age appropriate to do a job. You know, I, I got jobs. You know, what's age appropriate? When I got old enough to be turned loose on a tractor or given a good job that they didn't have to uh, watch me, it wasn't work watching me. Yeah. Do you remember how old you were when you got on the tractor? I remember some mishaps I had on tractors early on that were. <laughs> You know, when you're learning and they get off and you and you, you let off the clutch and when you weren't supposed to be letting off the clutch stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and stall out the tractor, that kind of stuff. 
but uh, one of the first jobs I had, and uh, and I I still have the I still have my notes where I where I worked my hours and kept my hours on a notepad. And wow. I still have those somewhere. I think I know wh- where they are. But anyway, was uh, working on a, in the pastures. Uh, we tied five tractor tires together in a in a in a three by two pattern, chained them together, and I drug them across the pastures and spread the manure. And uh, it fertilized. It fertilized, and when it rained, it was beautiful. Mm. But uh, that was my first job. Mm. Interesting. So that would have been in seventy before seventy five. Oh, that would have been. So that, that was that would have been probably in the sixties. I was born in fifty nine, so, so yeah. I was probably, I was I was probably to... 10, 12 years old. Probably okay. late sixties, early seventy one, seventy two, maybe. Probably before that, though. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I remember now. Old seven, old six, open cab. Of course, everything was open cab until uh, late seventies yeah. for us. That there you are with the numbers again. I don't remember the number of the tractor that I the the model of tractor I was driving, but my first to my, to my mishaps. Remember, you turned me loose once on the farm with a uh, a roller, whatever that's called. A row, no, it wasn't a row conditioner. It was literally just a big roller rolling bed, on top of rows, mm-hmm. bed roller, rolling on top of rows. And I turned around to finish the last pass of this field, and uh, it was a bumpy turnaround. And I bumped the, uh, I bounced the pin straight out of the. Uh, Drawbar? The the bar, and I left the roller at the end of the row, and I just took off down the row and got to the end to turn around again, and there uh, I looked back. I was like, uh, oh, left something. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. So yeah. I'm sure you never had a mishap like Nothing that. Nothing like that, no. Nothing like that. You were a professional tractor driver. Mm. I didn't get, full disclosure, I didn't get to drive the tractors as much because I had an older brother and an older cousin that took care of that, so I got mm. to go and chop weeds a lot more than, than they did, I feel like. Maybe not. Maybe it's just me having a little bit of saltiness, but mm. anyways, lessons. We did a lot of that together. We did do, mm. you, you did, you did do that with me. Was that some of that supervised mm. work that you couldn't trust me making, to do? Making sure it got done. Uh, making sure. <laughs> Sini weed, gross. I hate that stuff. I still get a bad taste in my mouth whenever I see it just mm. out of anger. Um, So we talked about your childhood, so. You like to fish. You and you said you and Mike like to fish. Y'all, y'all fished or growing up on the farm, you fished a lot. You hunted a lot. Mm-hmm. That was something Gramps was into. Y'all all did that together. The whole family did that, right? I mean, yeah. that was just. You no, know, I would. Re- I remember Daddy would come in from. Uh, he'd come in from work late afternoon. We had a pond on the farm that was uh, a dammed up by, and uh, it was probably seventeen, twenty acres, something like that. But uh, they had stocked it. It had. Brim, white perch, bass, uh, uh, pin, all kinds of uh, good fish. But uh, he would go out and he would find where the brim were bedding up on the on the in the shallows. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd come in. We'd go to the store and get a hundred crickets, and we'd go out there and we'd catch a we'd just catch a basket full, a stringer full of ba- uh, brim, and uh, those were fun times. And I remember. And so we did that. We did that. And later on, we caught bass in that pond. And mm-hmm. So uh, those that's was, a big pond. It was a nice, and we would we'd put it back if it wasn't for the for the high water. Yeah, that that pond goes underwater regularly now. We we just can't maintain a clean fish population in it. Now that we're talking about that, I don't want to get all into environmental stuff. But why does it back up more now than it did like back in the day? I don't know. I don't know if it's just cycles of the of the uh, 
of the weather patterns or if, or if, or if they just didn't realize how much it was going to affect the uh, uh, population. We wound up with a lot of German carp in the pond mm -hmm. when the backwater came up and took it and, uh, and mud cat and different kind of More trash fish. Trash fish, yeah. I wasn't meaning like I wasn't trying to get into global warming or anything, but that does sound like I mean, it's the same land, it's the same mm -hmm. level. It's not like I didn't know if there was anything to do with river structures or yeah. main, main, maintenance of that. I was just there curious. was there was a uh, a control structure put in the Washtenaw River down below us in that same time frame that probably reflected the, the pool stage of the river. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it more likely go on a, on a on a rain event, but as far as a uh, middle of the winter high water, that that uh, that locks and dams down at Jonesville doesn't really affect. Gotcha. Affect that. So you grew up fishing a lot. That was something I've always heard, and I knew. I mean, I remember even Gramps taking me fishing, and that was something he was into. Mm -hmm. But he all, he also hunted a lot, which you do a lot more. I say a lot more. You do, I think, probably less now than you did when we were all in the house with mm -hmm. you. But you still hunt. Yeah, you hunt now more, way more than you fish. I know this, but yeah, why, why, why is that? Why did that change happen? Because uh, I don't have, you a didn't boat. have a big. <laughs> well, you don't have a boat. You don't have a big old pond. I don't on have the, a big the pond there closely, and 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 uh, I guess that you is. I guess we we I find more value in deer hunting. Perhaps I don't know. But, mm. uh, but to go, if, if I, and I can, deer hunting kind of, it's pretty cheap for me. And I know a lot of people have to spend a lot of money to deer hunt and stuff, but it's mm -hmm. on the farm. I don't, I don't have to have any special equipment to go out and prepare a deer spot because ha we have all the equipment. We, uh, uh, and it's right there so we have time to go prepare a spot. So if I was going to go fishing, I'd need to buy a nice boat and have to travel somewhere. And it just and not, just it's not as convenient. It stuff, it's not yeah. as convenient. I got you. To fish. That that's one of the things I've learned about since being and living in Baton Rouge now, not here in Winsboro, is uh that people spend a lot of money deer hunting. And I did not I, my mind has been blown talking with even coworkers about like what's involved and I'm just like you can't just go out to the back of the farm. Yeah, I, I can get <laughs> I I, I can just, leave I can leave the house at I don't know 3 o'clock in the afternoon if I want to and be on a stand at three by three thirty, I can mm -hmm. leave here in Winsboro and be on my stand in, in thirty minutes. And, mm -hmm. and when uh, and most of that time is on the farm getting to the stand. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's one of the things that I've just really taken advantage. Of. I've really missed about being <clears throat> three hours away. So that's it's one of those things I didn't realize how good I had it until I didn't have it. But there is, there is a value to going to the camp, and that that camp experience is. is is part of what those people are, are getting. Mm -hmm. There's that, the camaraderie around a camp with friends and hunters. It's, a, it's, it's nice. Andy. And we, and we miss that. Did y'all know we missed that? Yeah, we don't get to, we don't get to we experience kinda, We had it, but it was at, at Goggy and Gramps' it, it, at, the end yeah. of the, at, at the end of the afternoon. We were eating cookies or whatever she had. Chest snacks pie. for it, chest pie. Only in Thanksgiving week, though. But... Um, I was actually talking with Andy Brown and Kellen Lee about that the other day. They uh, they they hunt together in Tinsall Parish, and Kellen's like, "Well, we'll we'll spend more time just hanging out at the camp than we the hunting. The hunting is just the excuse to get together." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I get it. I want to I want I want to do that. That that does sound fun." Yeah. So, and I I get that, but also I just 
there's the expense part. And you talked about the, the practicality of just having the equipment and the gear at the shop always to go fix up your spot. So, so you deer hunt more now mm-hmm. than you fish. Um, is that something that, I mean, that was just always, that's just, that was y'all's extracurricular, right? I mean, yeah, but what else did y'all do growing up? When we grew up, all that land that we hunt on now, uh, most of that was in, in was in cropland. Mm-hmm. And uh, the floods and such caused us to go ahead and put that back into a WRP program. So we, now we have 1,200 acres of that land is in WRP. So when I was growing up, that was, that wasn't hunting ground. We didn't hunt there. Mm. Uh, actually, Daddy was in hunting clubs. We were in, out in Tinsaw. We so y'all did go to the camp growing up, or not so much? Out at Tinsaw, we drove. Okay. We drove in the mornings. When we hunted down at Glasscock Island, we, uh, we had a camp down there. But I, I wasn't – I was probably 10 years old. We quit hunting down there, 10 or 12. So you missed old. kind of probably the more mm-hmm. – uh, I guess times around the campfire yeah. that you would actually remember. Yeah, we did that. But so, so we did. So we grew up. We didn't have hunting on the farm that much. We did mostly uh, rabbit hunting. Mm. We rabbit hunted in cotton patches and fence rows and stuff like that. We had beagles and we we did a lot of rabbit hunting, which was was really a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, squirrel hunted. I, I enjoy squirrel hunting. That's probably if I like to eat squirrels, I what I do mostly now. Yeah, I remember you took me and Trey squirrel hunting once at the farm. <laughs> Do you remember that story? I remember. I remember copperheads. Copperheads were involved. So one was on my brother's foot. Yeah, we found I think three in about ten steps. We yeah, found. We decided find something a, else to do that. That day. was a short hunt. We <laughs> so that's enough of the time in the woods. But mm-hmm. uh, so you mentioned the beagles, and I wanted to talk about that because that's one of the things y'all had just pins of dogs. Mm. Were, they, were they all beagles or just any hounds? Oh, when I was all growing up, Daddy, Daddy and them all had a fox hounds, and they they fox hunted at night, and they they hunt they fox hunt all night and hunt the dogs all the next day. And when they could, they didn't irrigate back then. They they plow when they were through plowing. They didn't have they weren't irrigating, so they had a little bit more free time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have necessarily the crops that we have now, but so they they fox a little hunt. bit lower maintenance farming. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when I got to be in junior high, uh, all we had all we had were beagles and rabbit hunting. I, at, at my grandmother's house, for those listening, <clears throat> where Dad grew up, there in the fence row, you can still see the the remnants of the dog pens. Mm-hmm. And I used to ask about those, and I used to hear stories about these beagles, and that led to my love for beagles. And uh, I got my first beagle when I was a senior in high school. Another one, one of the, once I got to Farm Bureau. And I don't have either one of them now. Mm. But I still love beagles, and I think it. I think it just traces back to hearing these stories about hunting. So, what was it like hunting? I mean, we don't hunt with dogs much anymore, like y'all used to. I say we don't by meaning the Wiggers family does not. What was it? What kind of hunting did y'all do with the dogs? Y'all did rabbit and squirrel. Were they just rabbit? Just, just rabbit, rabbit with beagles, and we would we would go over to Alla, which is a parish and a half away. And uh, hunt with some friends over there, and some where they do a lot of logging, and mm-hmm. a lot of rabbits over there, and we'd hunt, we'd hunt here. But uh, the rabbit hunting, well, now that we have the WRP land back, that's probably good rabbit hunting. But uh, remember, back when I was in high school, there weren't, there wasn't WRP land, not, and so we had to travel a little bit to, to rabbit hunt uh, big patches of wood or whatever. Got you. So that's where you rabbit hunt best is. In the, you mentioned the, in the cotton patches a minute ago, you mentioned finding rabbits, but it was mostly in the big, thick, heavy woods. Thickets, yeah. 
we had some thickets uh, around 40 acres, 60 acres here or there mm -hmm. that had a lot of brush and uh, cotton fields around and stuff. We had where we hunted the rabbits, and we we could find rabbits just about anywhere. Find enough rabbit to hunt all day. To, you took some real looking. You, you need to need to get a little bit more dense cover for gotcha. them. Uh, I'm asking these questions uh, like an ignorant person because my one hunt was 10 steps long into the woods. And <laughs> we were just we were trying to kick up a few rabbits, just something to do. <laughs> yeah. Get you we, out of the house. We, we shot three snakes and 10 steps, and we were out of there. So that's my one rabbit hunt. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so hunting was not all y'all did. You mentioned hunting elsewhere and stuff. Y'all also played sports, you and Mike mm. for sure. Um, y'all played a lot of sports. Yeah. In, in high school, we uh, – well – before high school, we we all grew up playing Dixie baseball, and and uh, we were both good ball players. Mike was a good ball player, and and, and so we we played uh, we played baseball from the time I was. And I remember the first time Daddy brought me. A, I was I was sitting in a chair, and I saw him walk into the house. He had a glove and a bat and a ball. And I'm like, wow, you know. And 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 we went out and started throwing ball and 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 hitting baseball, and from. From that point on, till time till I was 19, I was still playing baseball. Then played summer league softball. Played that till I had to quit and be an adult. <laughs> to but, get uh, to start I, being a, a husband. Yeah, start to start being an adult. So uh, I did that, and then I uh, uh, played basketball all through high school, and and uh, enjoyed that. And uh, but yeah, we were big into sports, and, and Daddy helped coach us, and that was part of the thing that you know I wanted. I wanted. Uh, uh, to raise y'all where mm -hmm. where y'all could uh, play ball, I, I could if I could get off work and go see go go coach y'all. You know I coach coached y'all a lot in uh, in Dixie ball, summer ball. Then your high school, I helped to coach there, mm -hmm. and and uh, and your grandparents came to see you play ball. I mean, just uh, getting back to why we live here, where we do. It, mm -hmm. it, it's just a it's a family thing. Yeah, I keep I keep selfishly wondering if you want to retire and come live in Baton Rouge so you can come to come to me and my, and, and your future grandkids mm -hmm. someday because I, I still want that too. Yeah. I, mean, I, still we, know, I still know how to coach it. Still, <laughs> we, uh, Dad, we, Dad and I, for the listeners, have had many t conversations about whenever the day comes that I do have children and like, how, how am I going to raise kids in the city? And uh, because I wasn't raised that way and I'm, all I know is in the summer, you don't have to worry about daycare. You just take them to the farm with, with you. That's how you take care of your kids in the summer. So, uh, we've talked about that, and I, I selfishly would love for love to be closer to mom and dad. Uh, but for that for that very reason of raising them around the farm. But I love my job, so don't hear that. Don't hear <laughs> anything less than that. So my job at Farm Bureau, I would, uh, I want to be gentle here i don't want to say nepotism was involved but you definitely pointed me in the direction of farm bureau mm. but the same was done to you we're fast forwarding and getting totally off track from in a sense but how did you get involved in farm bureau i mean you're farming you're living your thing you're living your life down in winsboro fort necessity when did farm bureau come into the mix of this you know i guess it's it's, it's, it's probably a a long story. I'll try to get get there. But we were uh, in church. Your mom grew up in 4-H, and I didn't. Uh, they tried to get me to do 4-H, but I was busy farming. I, no, I was I was busy <laughs> rabbit hunting and playing ball, and mm -hmm. and I didn't. It, it just 
it just didn't fit me. I had other things I wanted to do. I, I, I see the value in it now that I probably dismissed uh, when I was young, but I see some value that I, that I could have gotten from it, but I, I, was just, I was just too busy being me. And uh, <clears throat> so when we got in raising y'all, uh, it's, more, it's more Bess and Trey show, get into showing animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got showing animals with a friend of ours. And, and uh, uh, as, that, as that went on, uh, one day he said something about, why don't we get in, part of, get, get in this next ag leadership class? Okay. And um, I said, and I, I'd heard about it. I'd been asked to be part of it before, and I was just too busy trying to make a living, trying to uh, raise a family. I didn't think I had time for it. He said, oh, it'll be fun. Let's do it. So we did. So Noble Ellington and I uh, went into ag leadership class, and we were there together, went through it. And uh, as a result of going through the ag leadership class, we uh, uh, became, I became more aware of what Farm Bureau was. I know a lot of my Farm Bureau friends were raised in Farm Bureau. They grew up uh, Farm Bureau from the time they were uh, y'all. Like Par parents did. on the board kind of. Like y'all right. did, yeah. And, uh, but I'd, I didn't know anything about Farm Bureau. We were just living, living the life out there in Port Necessity, you know. And, uh, but I became aware of Farm Bureau and who Farm Bureau is and what Farm Bureau does and how important it is to the, to the state and the things that are going on. And as I was coming out of the Ag Leadership Program, Mr. Charlie Stevens from Wisner called me one day and asked me, he said, would, would you be interested in serving on the Board of Directors here in Franklin Parish? And uh, I said, well, yes, sir, I, I think I would. What's involved in it? He said, well, just if, if you'd be willing to be on the board, just uh, we're going to have a board meeting in a couple of weeks and our annual meeting, and, and uh, we'll get you on the Board of Directors, and you can come to the board and, and start participating in Farm Bureau. And I did. And... Uh, it's been a great experience from that point on. Uh, uh, what, what year would that have been? 2000? 2001, 2002. I remember you, 2001 you, probably. Because you went on your ag leadership trip Yeah, we, right we, around 2000, right? Went in 2000. So it had been, I probably got on, on the Paris board somewhere in that time for yeah. plus or minus a year or so. Um, well, ag leadership was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. So I was, I was, I wasn't, I, I Honestly, was not a, not a, not sure how you got involved in Farm Bureau. I just assumed ag leadership was somewhere in, in that. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you if ag leadership brought out the the leader in the Farm Bureau board member, or if vice I, versa. Or, or I'd always wanted to be involved in, in different organizations, but uh, uh, I didn't grow I didn't grow up in the 4-H world. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in the FFA world. They were they were there for me, but I was too busy doing what I wanted to do and and so therefore I I didn't know how to get myself into a position perhaps to mm -hmm. to be involved in those organizations and uh so it's mainly through ag leadership I, I developed uh some confidence that I didn't have before uh met a lot of people and a lot of those people that I met in ag leadership are uh serving with me uh in, in farm bureau we're serving together mm -hmm. and and you see a lot of that through the uh through Farm Bureau and Ag Leadership, LSU yeah. Ag Leadership Program. The alumni uh, email has a lot of names that are very familiar to people that are mm -hmm. connected in, or at least working in the industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I looked, I was in the last class, as you know, but for a listener maybe, uh, and whenever I got the first all, like, alumni email, I was just like, oh, my gosh, how many of these people have I been interacting with the last three years? Mm-hmm. 
that are all it's like I mean it's just it, it it's just a almost like it's a thing you must go through to be actively involved in the industry that we're in now so it's kind of neat to see that kind of a fraternity almost uh, and to, to hear how that played a role in you getting involved in Farm Bureau so you were on the board you became president eventually of the parish yeah I, how'd that prob- happen probably five years I, I went from being just on the board to uh, the board went through a transition I became president and I uh, served as the president of the board for I don't know, 10 to 12 years, something like that. And, and we kind of passed it on down to some other folks. And Is, <clears throat> is that when our family vacation became New Orleans every yep. summer? <laughs> that's, when I, that's, when, that's when your family vacation became New Orleans. Because we didn't have time. Remember, now at this time, we were irrigating and fur-irrigating everything we had, cotton, and we had to fur-irrigate cotton from May till uh, late August. And so there was... When y'all got out of school, we we didn't have time for vacations, mm-hmm. and so uh, Farm Bureau forced me to carve get, out a weekend, a long for a weekend, days. for to go to New Orleans for convention. Aren't you glad you did though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now looking back, uh, the idea of you taking a weekend now is kind of crazy because mm-hmm. of how much more you've gotten involved in the, in the organization. Um, what's been, I guess, one of your? I mean, you've been. 20 years now in the, in the organization. Mm-hmm. What's been your favorite, I guess, aspect of being involved in, in leadership or just even from the board level, the parish board level? What's been, I guess, the uh, your favorite part of it? Well, you know, everybody, want, everybody would probably say the same thing. It's friends. How many friends we've made over the years and your friendships that just, uh, you know, you can't have a flat tire anywhere without knowing somebody you can call in that parish, you know, or run out of gas. Or run out of gas. You know, uh, the, the friends are, are, the, are the biggest thing. Certainly working on policy and trying to develop policy, guide policy, try to uh, create a better environment to, for agriculture to, to uh, uh, exist in the state and on the federal level as well. Certainly that is important. But the thing that I think that will stick with us the longest are the friendships we've made. And we've made just untold number of friends and, and not my talking about acquaintances i'm talking about friends mm-hmm. you know people that you can count on when things go bad you know you can and, and you learn a lot from them that you have a lot of shared experiences although we might be raising different crops we have a lot of the same experiences the same challenges of uh, uh weather and insects and those types of things but also the stress of, of raising a family and and, and uh, trying to keep the family farm going without putting too much financial stress on the uh, on your assets and stuff. So we, we share a lot, and, and we get a lot of uh, support from, from one another from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier Noble, and Mr. Noble, I would say, has probably always been one of your best friends, mm-hmm. him and probably Steve Moore. Yeah. Who yeah. was probably, I'm guessing that's the one you rode bicycles to his house. Yeah, I would ride bicycles to Steve's house over in, on Ross Road. That's and, a uh, journey from. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know. But and Noble that, and Steve were probably your, probably some well, of the couple, a couple of friends I, I know of still today that you have been close to. But now that number, I mean, that group has grown. Yeah. That's what, and, you know, and you'll, of the tight friends. You've seen this. And, and when you're in high school, you have a certain set of friends and, and, you have a lot of friends in high school. Then, twenty years later, you're gonna look back and say, "I have, I have two of those friends that are still close friends." 
Uh, and so we transitioned through eras of friendships. Uh, but I will say that having grown up in this small community, we, we still have all, all of my classmates, I say all of them. The dinner there, party? There, there were 13 <laughs> of us. But uh, you know, we have a small text group, and we're still good friends. We, so I still have six or seven of those friends that we're close to mm -hmm. uh, in a text world. And uh, <clears throat> But you talk about Noble. Noble and I became friends in uh, mid-1990s. We became – I knew who he was. Your mom knew who he was more than that because they, they kind of grew up in the same community. Uh, Winsboro and Fort Necessity are 15 minutes away, but they're different worlds. That was a long ways away back in the, <laughs> back in, uh, the 70s. I'm just throwing uh, it out there. But anyways, <laughs> you, I, I, I'm, I'm getting you off track. You but no, but no, became, we became friends in the, in the mid 1990s, and uh, you know he's 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 a close close friend, and and, and uh, I I don't think I have a closer friend. Did y'all did y'all get was that that wasn't quite the sheep showing days, was that it? Was. That, so that's how y'all kind of got mm -hmm. y'all just y'all knew of each other. We were in church together, and he, okay. he played he played the piano and organ in the church. And I got you. We we were friends i just church. assumed y'all were close before that mm -hmm. but the sheep sheep the 4-h sheep showing with the kids that was that was our bonding huh. time that was quite the friends. bonding time too though i mean y'all shared some sheep pens and mm -hmm. took care of sheep together worked the sheep together bought sheep together went, went to oklahoma buying sheep went different places buying sheep i got you I, I didn't know that yeah here i am on the podcast with my dad who i said i did 30 years of research on i'm learning stuff here right here um, you ain't gonna learn it all. Well, I d didn't expect to. But talking about Farm Bureau, the friends you made mm -hmm. in Farm Bureau, you've got some lifelong friends now mm -hmm. in in that that in the organization. Um, you mentioned policy and things like that. The the quote unquote important work of the bureau mm -hmm. has has that been something that you ever thought you'd be interested in? Like looking back, you, you know, know I, I think back early in my. Uh, I think I wanted to. I just, as I said, I, I, I missed out on the 4-H and FFA, which would have given me the, a background to have done that. But once I started farming, I, I, I had a want to do that kind of stuff. And so uh, Farm Bureau has given me a great opportunity to be involved in all that. I think of you as a thinker. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to elevate you in any way here, but I, I know anytime I've – like. We've sit, been sitting riding a tractor together. You ride in a tractor for 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes when mm -hmm. that time comes, and you have plenty of time to sit there and think. And I remember even in, like, high school, we would be sitting there riding, and you would just have an idea come to you, and you'd just sit there and ponder on it and twist it around and just think on it. And so I wonder if if any of that, I guess, plays into – I mean, you spend a lot of time in solitude – on a mm -hmm. farm, just most all farmers do. It has that, I guess, time like that where you sit there and can kind of twist things around. And I say twist, I don't mean like in a negative yeah, way, you, but you where you can really kind of work things over in your head. Has that been, uh, I guess, an asset to you as a leader in Farm Bureau? I think so. I, you know, I don't, I don't listen to my radio a whole lot in my tractor. I do some, but not a whole lot. I don't think the one in my tractor works right now, so there, there you go. But, but I do have earbuds. I can listen to them on phone, you know. But, but you know, you, if you take advantage of that time that you have and kind of think things through, you can, you can really develop some ideas and, and, and figure out how to uh, 
move things forward that need to be moved forward. And uh, you, like I say, you have a lot of time to uh, to, to work those ideas out. Mm-hmm. And and now th- with with cell phones, you can you can call your friends and bounce ideas off of them. And if you stay off if you stay off the uh, radio other radio, you can. Uh, it, it get really, some work done. You can you can really multitask. I think the phones have given us a lot of opportunity to multitask, and they've taken a lot of things away from us too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that uh, I know that using the phone when you have good signal, <laughs> which is never. Which it seems is, like it's every, well, it's every time you call me, it's that time. Yeah, <laughs> you have to find you have to pick your spots to make a phone call. Uh, there, and some of my proof. Uh, of that was not just from riding in the tractor with you and you having ideas come to you, but sometimes I'll uh, I'll call and ask you about something and like, hey, what's your take on this? And you'll get the full scoop of it and then say, I don't know, let me call you back. And an hour and a half, two hours later, five hours later, the next week, Dad's been riding in the tractor, doing whatever he's doing, mm-hmm. and I get a call and he says, so here here here's my extremely well thought out. I wouldn't uh, say extremely well thought out. It's usually I'm, that. <laughs> it feels that way to me. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, that's why I was I was wondering if that played into your, I guess, leadership role at Farm Bureau as well. With, with yeah, well, I don't I don't know how to answer that question exactly, but <laughs> it's not really a I question. Do, yeah, it's just it's just a thought. But yeah, we have a lot of time to think about things, and if you, you know, because we don't think all we're not all the time thinking about uh, policy. We might be thinking about trying to get trying to get through so we can get down to trying to arrange things that so we can get off of the weekend. Maybe. How can we make sure we can all be at dinner on, on whatever night together mm-hmm. and be yeah. in the same room together and hang out? Um, has mom, has, I mean, has mom enjoyed it more than you have? Farm Bureau, Your yeah. Farm Bureau days? She's enjoyed it a lot. She's, you know, she's made just, just as many friends as I have. Well, maybe not quite as many, but she's made a lot of good good friends that are mm-hmm. going to be our lifelong friends and and she's enjoyed uh the opportunity to, to go to baton rouge and get away from the house some you know just get out of town and and uh but and be with friends mm-hmm. and, and now that you and elena live down in baton rouge she really likes being able to come down there and see y'all she <laughs> likes it when i buy her lunch mm-hmm. i'm just kidding um last farm bureau question uh and that's more about the the folks in the PR department. I mentioned earlier how you kind of pointed me in that direction. You literally went and took me one week with a board board meeting and just kicked mm-hmm. me into the PR department. Said, "Go hang out with them, see what they're doing, see if you mm-hmm. like any of that." That's that's more up your alley. I was already doing that type of stuff at church, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Well, you can do this here too," and you pointed me in that direction. Literally pawned me off on Mike Dana, my dear, who was one of those other lifelong friends that that yeah. you made in Farm Bureau. You know, how did that? How did that all start? You know, I don't know exactly how Mike and I started becoming friends. And I, as uh, when I became a parish president and showing up regularly at, at meetings down in Baton Rouge, I, I guess Reginald was still—he's probably still a little bit involved in Farm Bureau. And we'll talk about Reginald in a minute, I guess. But you can talk about him now. I don't care. Reginald was down there, and and and, uh, and Mike Danny was in that department, and and some, somehow or another, Mike kind of. We started making uh, conversations with each other and, and getting to know each other. And next thing you knew, next thing I knew, he was up here doing a few stories along the way about different farming things in here in Franklin Parish. And the joke got to be whenever Mike left, he was coming to Franklin Parish to do a story. Uh, Sounds familiar. And uh, 
Mike would and Mike became just a such a dear friend of mine and uh so uh but I don't know exactly I don't I don't remember a moment. Mike could probably tell you. Mike could look at you and tell you what I was wearing that day. I'm the sure what time, you were wearing had something to do with the first time the memory. We, yeah, he has lots of memories of what I was wearing. But because uh, he always talked about my, my old ratty t-shirt. Well, I was about to say he would be really be really proud that you went to the back and changed shirts for yeah. today's just, podcast. Hey, Mike Mike would bring me a shirt and say, "Put this shirt on for for this show," and he would give me a Twyla shirt or whatever. Nice Twyla clean. Put this shirt on. <laughs> Don't be wearing that ugly shirt you had on. But anyway, <laughs> Mike was uh, but Mike could tell you exactly what I was wearing the first day we met. I'm pretty sure, and. Uh, he was a. He'd probably he tell it in a really friend. awesome storytelling kind of way too. Mike, if it, if there was a story to be told, Mike could tell it, and and nobody could uh, rival him in telling a story. Well, I mentioned whenever I was setting all this podcast stuff up that uh, it's kind of like being in KMAR because mm-hmm. I know I know you've been in there, you've been on the radio there a lot when back when Reg was doing his shows right. on KMAR. Which for those listening, Mike Dana was the director of the department that I serve in, director of, I guess, probably information or communications or public relations. It's changed a few names, but it's all been the same goal. But Reg hired Mike and was the director before Mike. Um, So Reg actually created that department. Reg created the department, but he was also a a Winsboro native. Mm. Crowbull, but yeah. Franklin Parish native, I'll say that, I'm sorry. He would probably take great offense to that. It matters when you're in Franklin Parish. <laughs> right. We talked about Franklin Parish, uh, Winsboro and Fort mm-hmm. Necessity being an, mm-hmm. a, an eternity away from each other. But, Reg, did y'all have a relationship before you were in Farm Bureau being just in this town? You know, I remember, first thing I remember about Reginald was, I think he's retiring from Farm Bureau, and, and he was coming back to Winsboro to maybe uh, do a show here and on KMAR. And I said, and we were at a Farm Bureau meeting, somebody said, well, Reginald Wallace is, is fixing the. I said, Who, who's Reginald Wallace? I say, oh, you know Reginald. You've heard him on the radio all the time doing all those farm stories and stuff. I said, yeah, I guess so. I I, I don't really know when I when I met Reginald. He had that big Reginald voice. I said, oh yeah, I know Reginald. Oh, I definitely know that guy. And uh, yeah, Reginald got to be a a, a good friend. He around me, Franklin. Around Franklin. And uh, but he he became a good friend of mine and and. Uh, so it was kind of y'all became friends, I guess, after he was yeah I kind of be, beyond Farm Bureau. I never I never knew Reginald till he moved back up here after he retired. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember many a day, right around lunch, we'd be going going to get lunch at the farm at, at Goggy's house. And uh, for those listening, Goggy is my grandmother, Dad's mom. It's a mm-hmm. crazy name, but that's what we call her. Uh, but you were going to Goggy's, and you would say, hang on, Reg is calling me. Mm. And you'd be sitting there talking, and you'd tell me to be quiet, and you're literally on the radio at the moment mm. you turn the radio off. Yeah. That was like a weekly thing, wasn't it? He, he, I, I was on the radio with Reg once a week at least. And, uh, you know, then after that, it turned into uh, Reg was doing baseball games. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He was doing baseball games here for the different high schools and stuff, and he and I, he and I did baseball games for – color commentator here oh, I forget yeah. you know you know how to work a mic for about th- for about three years you know <laughs> uh three or four years i did we did radio uh, baseball games uh did y'all just do school. franklin academy games or we did, did y'all Fra- we did franklin academy and mangum and did a couple of winsborough high school games. okay I'm, i i was gonna say because you were calling i guess 
announcing games that Drew was playing, right? Mm-hmm. That his teams in those yep. kind of days. So Drew being my cousin yep. that farms with Dad. So I forgot about that. I forgot that you and Reg did that together. Because did you do it with somebody else afterwards? No. You never did it with somebody else? I don't think so. High school football. You did some football games. I some Mangum games. Now, so now that I'm, I'm – who was that with? Lanny? Lanny James. Lanny James in Oak Grove. Okay. I'm putting it all together now because this is all Lanny, – Lanny James was a, was a big sports uh, announcer up here with KNOE TV for a long time, and he did a lot of uh, uh, radio stuff. And when Mangum was in the playoffs, he – they he recruited me. you because it, you were familiar. I was familiar with the people in the in the community. <laughs> so I, I forgot so about I, that. So I did. I, I did. I did. Uh, was it one or two games from the dome with him? I don't remember, but one. I think one. I remember it being mm. kind of a cool experience and cool. I actually, I think I helped spot a couple of those games because mm. it was after I played. Yeah. And Elena I just did up. too. Well, yeah. It was a family thing. That was fun. So I forget that my dad has a side hustle of. Uh, Time on the radio. Sports broadcasting. You, I guess we can all thank Reg for that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to ask, so now that you, you knew Mike and Reg, and uh, you really knew Mike's love for this job that I'm doing now, mm-hmm. What? Uh, how do you think Mike would have enjoyed the world we live in now with drones and podcasts uh-huh. and all the, the new things that we have you know, I remember, at our disposal? I remember uh, – it hadn't been that long ago when the GoPros were just coming out, mm-hmm. and Mike was like, I think I'm going to send, I'm going to buy five of these GoPros, and I'm going to mail them to you and so people around the parish, I mean, around the state, and I'm going to let them just film some stuff during the day, and they can mail them back to me, and and uh, now we can just put it in, on a, on your phone and Dropbox it or whatever, have you all do the Dropbox. I mean, it would be a lot easier now, but Mike would be all over the technology today. Mm-hmm. He would be... He'd just be excited about the next thing. What's the next thing that we're going to get? Yeah, I remember. I, so I, I did an internship, and I think we have trying to figure it out. I think it was 2014. Mike was already sick, but mm-hmm. he was still the director of the department, kind of being run, you know, on autopilot a little bit with Avery and Neil and that crew. But I remember just how excited he got when the, the little bit of time he was in the office, how excited he got about picture uh, shots of video that he would get. Mm-hmm. And I've heard stories like crazy about whenever he would just go like geek out about a, uh, just a killer shot. And there's been so many times where I've, I've, I've got some drone footage. I'm calling Avery, calling Neil and everybody. I'm like, y'all come look at this. Come look at this shot. Come look at this shot. And I just think, dang, I wish Mike could have seen that one. Uh-huh. No, I remember. I remember one time we had uh, we had gone to a farm bureau fundraiser down in uh, Melville at the Canatellas. They they had a skeet shoot, and uh, the next morning I went. Well, that afternoon after the skeet shoot, I drove to uh, Mike's house in Port Allen, Mike and Renee's, and I, and I spent the night just spent the night with her. Well, it, I must have driven there the next morning because when I got there, Mike said uh, we visited a while. And, Got to be early afternoon. He said, "Look, I gotta go shoot the store." I said, "Mike, he was sick." I said, "He said, I don't, I don't think you don't want to go do store." Yeah, I want to go do a store. I'm, I, I got to go do, get this package done for for the show. I said, "Where we want to go?" He said, uh, uh, "We're going to Greg Gravois." I said, "Okay." So we loaded his stuff up. We drove down to Greg's and we're visiting with Greg for a while. 
You talk about that magic moment, that magic hour, that last hour when the sunlight and daylight's just right. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike, was, Mike was not well. And uh, Mike did an interview with Greg and did, did one of Greg's brothers, and he had done, set up all the different shots, and, and uh, you know that takes time. It, it eats up the afternoon pretty quick. And then all of a sudden, Mike grabs his camera and his tripod, and he throws it over his shoulder, and he starts, starts hustling down the turn row, the headlands, hustles, hustling down the headlands, and he takes off jogging down the row, and he sets his stuff up. He's, he's doing everything he can just to get that perfect magic shot of the, of the uh, cane harvester coming through with the dust and the uh, sunlight behind it and all that that goes into those shots like that. And, and as soon as the combine passed, passed him, he, he, he grabbed his stuff and he jogged to the other, uh, other end and set up for the, to, get, to get it when he was dumping on, uh, doing something. I forget exactly what he – but I remember Greg and I sitting there watching and saying, that man is just, he's right where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was enjoying every minute of that, of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a really memorable afternoon with Mike. I'm feeling pretty convicted because there's been times I've been chasing those same shots and been like, what am I doing? Like, I, I remember <laughs> actually doing exactly that back in, uh, back during corn harvest, chasing down a corn harvest uh, combine to get the shots I needed, but I didn't bring my tripod. So I ran the entire way with the camera and then I was out of breath trying to hold and get the shot. And it was like, I did not think this through. You, but didn't, I, have, you didn't have the experience <laughs> Mike had. So maybe I just need to do what Mike did and throw the tripod over my shoulder and mm-hmm. take it with me everywhere I go. But that, uh, yeah, I really, I really hate that he's not around to, to, to get to, to see and experience all of the the technology we have now, and and see his face light up whenever we get some of those cool drone shots and stuff, I feel like he'd probably be a better drone pilot than me because his eye was always sharp for those those money shots. Like I don't know like if he'd that. be a better pilot than you, but I know he, he if it was a good shot to be got, he would he, he would he, he would, would, get, he would it. get it for sure. Mike was a mm, he was he was a tremendous friend. Well, on that exceptionally high note, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna wrap it up and say thank you for talking about all the things under the moon that I asked you about farming. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that we talked about earlier that would be something fun to talk about? We didn't talk about Carla enough. We didn't. She is kind of a superwoman. She's asleep yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> mom is a nurse. Let's talk about mom for a sec. Yeah. What can be said about mom in raising four kids while you were farming long hours? Mm, she's, she's a superwoman. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. She, uh, I don't know. I, I just know that there's nothing that I've ever accomplished that I couldn't have couldn't have accomplished uh, either with her help or because she gave me the opportunity to do what I do. And uh, she's a tremendous mom, and she's a tremendous nurse, and she takes care of my dad. And we didn't talk about that any either. But Gramps, who raised uh, raised me in the passenger seat of his truck mm-hmm. every every day. Uh, I'll tell this story real quick. Every day growing up at the farm. Because I was with Dad, I was working every summer, you know. But I would also usually stay in at lunch and take a nap or something silly like that. Mm-hmm. And Gramps would usually come and say, "Hey, let's go ride. Let's go for a ride." And he'd walk out to his pickup truck and throw me in the passenger seat, and we would ride about three miles an hour around the entire mm-hmm. two thousand acres of the farm and just look at everything, looking for deer at one o'clock in the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon. But now, Gramps 
I mean, he's declined in health. He's now living here in your living room. Right. And uh, has been for five years now. And that's been a burden. Yeah. But it's also been... Blessing. A blessing for y'all to have him close. But mom, would you say mom is a primary caregiver? She's, she's, <laughs> she's the primary and secondary. And I'm, I'm, I'm the third. You're the, <laughs> at the best. You're the, the extra set of hands, mm, pretty much. Yeah, she does. She does it all. Uh, on top of a full-time nursing schedule mm-hmm. where she's making it really easy by working nights. Yeah. yeah she, she works nights and she works, uh, and it messes the days up, but she's a tremendous, tremendous woman. And, and I'm just thankful that she's assisted me in all the things that I've done. Cause nothing I've done is, uh, uh, could I've done without her, like I said, her assistance or her, uh, blessings. Yeah. One of the things that, I feel like we probably don't know. I feel like I've had this conversation with a uh, farm, the wife and our wives or something sometimes whenever I'm doing stories on the the, fi- the achievement award finalist or something. And sometimes a, a wife will be like, well, I don't have that much responsibility, but like it's literally they're almost equal partners, even if they never step foot on the farm yeah. uh, on any farm. Yeah, Is that just, right? They keep you going and they're, they're your, they're your encourager, your, your cheerleader, your, uh, uh, sounding board, you know, they, you know, cause sometimes we come in frustrated and they, mm-hmm. they listen and they, and they, and they always have a, uh, almost always have a hot meal or we go get something together, but, uh, just some, just a friend to come home to. She's, it's, it's just, uh, she's special. We didn't talk about the, the farm down in Fowles now that y'all picked mm-hmm. up in the last couple of years, but I've probably, <laughs> like I've. Take, I've heard, gotten many calls from mom and I'm like, what you doing? She's like, I'm riding down the fowls to take dad this part or go pick up dad while he drove a tractor down there or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And that's one of those things that they do. Yeah, it's what they, she does and what most farm wives do. But run, run errands, help pick you up, help you make, help you get your trans, transport equipment from one place to another. At least come pick you up so you can get back without having to make an extra trip, that kind of thing. Raise four incredible children, mm-hmm. at least one. But yeah. I think maybe four average children. <laughs> you dig your own hole. I mean, I'm just your favorite youngest son there is. I don't know <laughs> don't know how else to put it. Don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Um, I think y'all did pretty good. Uh, obviously, I'm sitting here trying to figure out ways to raise a kid on a farm mm. in the middle of Central. So we'll see how that goes. But because uh, I want to be raised <laughs> like I was raised, because I felt like I was, I felt like I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> I don't know how to say that, but y'all did a pretty dang good job with well, me. World's changing. We don't know how, how we're going to raise the next set, but uh, y'all will figure it out. We're going to figure it out someday. So, All right. Mom, we love you. Shame on, shame on your son, your favorite son, for leaving this out so long. So maybe that might, that might come back to me. But anyways, I love y'all both. I'm glad you did the podcast. I uh, hope this is enjoyable to everybody that listened past the five minute mark that i told you you have to listen past so we'll see how it goes and thank you very much you're welcome enjoyed it thank you everyone for listening thank you dad for your time on a monday afternoon i appreciate it i know you probably had better things to do more important things to do on the farm as y'all are getting ready to start planting but you made the time and i appreciate that For those listening, if I rambled, I apologize. However, I had my dad on a hot mic and I had the freedom to ask any question I wanted to, so I went for it. 
if there's some stuff in there that sounds very personal or that doesn't interest you at all, I apologize only a little bit. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with maybe a family member that you think might enjoy this. We'd appreciate that. Also, wherever you're listening right now, would you please leave us a review and let us know what you think? It helps us out a whole lot, and I enjoy reading those reviews. If you know someone that should be featured on the podcast, visit the link in the show notes and let us know. We would love to go interview more people like my dad or any other farmers or ranchers in Louisiana because everyone has a story and we want to use this platform to tell those stories. This podcast was produced by me, Carl Wiggers, with the help of everyone in the Louisiana Farm Bureau Communications Department. On behalf of everyone, thank you for listening. We'll be back with another one soon.